answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McClain. Thanks for being here today. Both myself and my co-host here, Pat, we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spend our weekdays with people like yourself and come here on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. And if you've got a question for us regarding something in your financial life, we would love to talk with you about it. Maybe it's uh, planning for your retirement or you're, maybe you're currently retired and trying to figure out how to get more retirement income or wondering how, how you should be looking at your 401k, or maybe the stock market's making you nervous and you're thinking, do I have the right kind of allocation or can you afford to retire or how do you deal with your estate planning for your kids or whatever it is financially Or is related. this political unrest uh, causing you to change how you're viewing your overall financial situation? A little bit of that going on. Yeah, the whole the world, everyone's angry about everything. Man, I, I, I don't know. I listen to the news. You think that the, if it's the, the soup lines again or something? Yeah, I don't know. It is. It's um, whatever. Well, anyway, we don't get into politics, but we do get into money. <laughs> we, we try not to get into politics because it's and it, we, I think we respect everybody's uh, opinions. And, not everybody, but most well, people. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> there are some yeah, there's just yeah okay fair enough all right if you want to be part of our program we'd love to take your call if you'd like to join us our toll-free lines 833 that's toll-free 833 worth 833 worth numerically it's uh 833-999-6784 and let's just jump right into it and we're talking with peter peter you're with all worth money matters I want to know what the heck a $15,000 provision of giveaway is. It doesn't make any sense on the topic. I don't understand where it comes from. Okay, Nobody got it. wants to give away yep. money. Yep. So, <clears throat> and what is the current limit, Scott? It, so. 15. I believe it's 15. Right around there. So here's, here's, here's where the, the rules all come from, right? Because it's kind of confusing. I can, you, or you, Peter, can gift somebody money, and it's not a taxable event to them or to you. Right, so if you want to uh, walk down the street and give some guy in the street a hundred bucks so he can buy more beer, you're free to do that if you wanted to. If you wanted to give your sister some money, you're free to do that. But there are there are some limits on that, and the limits all come under the estate tax limits. It's the estate and gift tax. So there is a lifetime exclusion that you can give a certain dollar amount either during your lifetime or at your death. In addition to that, you can give $15,000 a year. Per year, per person. And if you're married, you can give that person 15000 and your spouse can give that person 15000 But the current estate limits are yeah, about— That is exactly the number. I think it's fifteen, but I it's might over, off by $500. It's over $11 million per individual. So a couple can transfer over $22 million— Without any sort of estate or gift taxes. But let's say right now you gave one of your children a million dollars, then at your death, you actually wouldn't be able to give the whole $11 million because you gave the million dollars today and if you did not pay a gift tax on it. So years ago when the limits were, were much smaller, and it wasn't that many years ago, it was 600000 was the estate tax limit. And you're living, you're living in California, it looks like. So I mean, it's not... <laughs> You could have a house quite easily over six hundred thousand uh, dollars. So it, it was much more common back then for people to take pay, pay attention to these sort of things and would make sure they would gift this annual amount. It used to be ten thousand dollars. Now it's cracked up, moved up to fifteen thousand. Uh, but it really, it's 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 more of an issue for people that either have some substantial assets, and that that's a 
fungible word because it's, there's a chance in the future that the, the limits come down again. They may not stay as high as 11 million a year going forward. So I mean, what a you, lifetime going forward. What are you trying to achieve? I I just want to understand the provision of uh, because I'm being encouraged by my brother to uh, give some money to my kids uh, before I retire. But I I want to understand the whole provision first. I mean, what are well, they? Do you have more money than you need? Do you have more money than you need than they're ever going to spend? Uh, no. Oh. no, actually not. But he. Why doesn't Why don't you tell him to give his money to your kids? Uh, <laughs> I mean. If if I get any more uh, blunt with him, we'll never speak. Uh, so, uh, and I and I raised this issue with him. Why don't you explain it? And of course, he couldn't explain anything. And I still don't. Uh, even from your explanation, I don't understand the, the, what's the difference between the eleven million dollars and the fifteen thousand dollar limit okay. per year. Oh, so it's there, both. Somebody wants to avoid something, and I still don't understand it, what it is. But it's both. I could give eleven million dollars away today. To whoever I wish, give it away, and still give fifteen thousand dollars a year away. And at my death, I will owe no taxes. But if I gave twelve million dollars away today, I'd use up my whole eleven million dollars in gift, and then I'd have to pay taxes on that extra million in a gift tax. And the giver gives it. Oh, a gift! It's a gift tax. It's a gift tax from the giver, not the receiver. Uh, and what are, what are the terms of a gift tax? I'm, I, I don't. It's, really so it, it's uh, under its own tax code, and it has its own tax. Uh, I think it starts table. at like it's it's it, it runs at almost half, fifty percent. Fifty percent of yeah. whatever you're giving away. Yes, yeah, over 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 that the 11, lifetime. Eleven point eight million is what uh, uh, the lifetime. Okay, so, but let's but let's just stop. Let's just stop. What's the benefit if if you don't think you have enough money for your whole life? Why would you give any of it away? Well, that's exactly the reason I'm calling. It okay. is such a it's such a a, a, a mindless uh, provision without any explanation of what it's okay. about. Okay, well, we that, I can't. That's why I called. Oh, I can't argue whether the provision is mindless or not mindless, but it isn't unusual for our firm who have clients with assets in the millions if not tens of millions of dollars, to recommend a gifting strategy in order to get the assets yes. out of their estate. It's actually fairly common. And people that with much smaller than this, too, just they might not have 11 million bucks, but they say, hey, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And with some of the political talk going on, they think, what happens if that amount is dropped back down to a million dollars like it was several years ago or a couple million dollars? Then they move it out of their estate while they can. But it, none of that applies to you. Because if you were sitting in any of our offices with any of our advisors, we would not recommend any sort of a gifting strategy to someone that we were that 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 it was touch and go whether they had enough money to last the rest of their life. You just wouldn't do it, even Good, even in, yeah. even within a, a small margin of error. Yeah, if no. it wasn't clear cut that you're not going to spend all this money in your lifetime. And in addition to that, I would warn you about one other thing, which is, look, it's okay to give money to your children, but if you don't think you're going to like how they're going to spend it, it is going to create um, animosity <laughs> in this relationship that's not worth doing. It's just not, it's, it's not, it's not worth it. Yeah. Hey, Peter, appreciate the call. You know, it's interesting, Pat, uh, as you, as you state that. The, the reality is most people who have money later in life have the money because they have been diligent savers and have lived below their means. Yes. Right? Regardless of what level that or is. Or they're super lucky. But most people, most people. Lucky or had a, a hit a home or, run in their career. Yeah, but most people are hardworking. Multimillionaires uh, in retirement. Yes. That just, they were... Professionals and hard, worked hard and saved hard, right? And they get to these. So, to your point exactly, you've. I mean, we've seen times where people have this kind of an annual gifting to their kids, and it drives them crazy because they see the new brand new car their kid buys, the vacation their kids go on, the new big TV. I guess TVs aren't that expensive anymore. But well, I can. I'll share some personal uh, part of my life. I have a gifting program. My wife and I have a gifting program with our children. 
I am not allowed to put stipulations on the gift. You cannot say... Legally. Otherwise, it's not a completed yeah, gift. You, you cannot say you can't use this for this or this or this. But in saying that... Well, they know they're not going to get a next year's gift if they squander have, this year's I gift. I have mentioned to my children <laughs> that I'd like copies of the statements uh, that the, the money went into to come to my home just uh, for curiosity's sake so that maybe... You know, and they're smart enough to figure out, you know, this thing could be worth something if I don't blow it. Should I not have shared that No, it's stuff? hilarious because your kids are going to live a much larger lifestyle than you and your wife. <laughs> well, okay. But, <laughs> well, Pat, I'm Pat, alive. Pat and I have been working together a long time. And Pat still takes... And so when we first started, like most people starting off, young people are broke as can be and it was you try to negotiate anywhere you could to save a couple dollars because you just you didn't have many dollars you didn't have enough dollars to go around so and so i think pat still goes to jiffy lube and how much is that i'll pay you you're trying to negotiate down <laughs> three bucks on jiffy lube or whatever it is money's where you find it yeah, so, anyway uh, and and on this kind of gifting money to your kids just as often do we as we have this discussion with people about gifting money to them we have a discussion about people of stop giving your kids money yes. or cut back on what you're giving your kids because we see people that have the, for themselves enough financial assets for their retirement and to maintain their same standard of living, but they don't have enough assets to help their kids at the same time. And we'll see oftentimes people start giving their kids money, trying to help them out. They just, and they dig a hole. And the next thing you know, they've started eroding some of their own capital that they need to fund their retirement. There, one other, while we're on the subject of gifting, oftentimes we see uh, gifting to charities that is probably the most inefficient a way to get money to a charity possible. By give <clears throat> to charities, by giving cash instead of something yeah, else. Yeah, eight out of ten times when someone comes into the office and they're giving money to a charity, they're not doing it the most efficiently That's possible. That's correct. And we've talked about this, yeah, of course, yes. being a little more tax efficient on that. So uh, let's continue on with calls. Again, if you want to join us, the contact number here is 833-99-WORTH, 833-999-6784. We're talking with Kevin. Kevin, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Thank you for taking my call. I sure appreciate what you guys do on the weekend for everybody. Hey, well, thank you. So I have a question about my kid's college fund, and I have accumulated, our family has accumulated various college funds for, we have three children. They're a few years younger than yours, so I think you're the perfect person to give me advice, but just to <laughs> kind of run it through, <laughs> we started with a Coverdell ESA plan and have a, a substantial amount in there. Then we started the 529 plan. I also have a cut outside of everything um, in a mutual fund. And then I used to, yes, I used to roll all my quarters and go down every month to the bank and buy savings bonds for the kids. So I have four different accounts for each kid. I have a senior in college. I have a freshman attending a community college. So the you know, costs are kind of negligible there. But I also have a junior in high school. And so I'm curious which of these four accounts, what's the spending pattern? Uh, that's a good question. That is a great question. Um, how, how old are the savings bonds? Uh, well, the day after my oldest daughter was born, who's a senior in college, I literally went down, opened up the uh, Coverdell ESA, and I started buying a bond a month. I Let's say half of them are in her name, half are in my name once I figured out the difference. And are some, you, are in I bonds, some are in I-bonds paying 5 or 6%. Some are in double E's only paying 1%. Okay. that's So the ones paying 5 and 6%, don't spend those. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed from the federal government. <clears throat> I mean, just you know, basically. Uh, will your kids qualify for any financial aid? You filled out the FASB form or whatever that is? No, no, not at all. And you, and you talked about negotiating. I actually found something about negotiating with colleges I could get into after you answer my question. Actually, yeah, yeah. I tried the same. Um. <laughs> I think it depends on the school, right? <laughs> yes, it depends on the school. You're probably not going to negotiate at Harvard, I'm guessing. Um, so the have you used any of this money for your senior in college as of yet? Yes, we've we basically cleaned out her uh, ESA, her educational savings, and it is the California plan, and we gutted her 529 plan. So those are still there. I left the UTMA and the savings bond. For her, I figured she actually asked if I could 
save money or if she could save money in college, could some of that be used for her graduate school? So she's a saver and a planner as well. Wow. Well, I mean, so I think this actually, it depends on each child. But I like the methodology you use with that child. Yes. Because the UTMA doesn't have to be used for... Neither uh, does the savings bonds. They or can be used for whatever. They can be used for whatever you want. So the, the, the Coverdale and the 529, they both have tax benefits if the money's used for college. If the money's not used for college, then there's going to be some tax penalties, right? So there's uh, those dollars are clearly earmarked for, for college expenses, but uh, a uniform transfer to minor, minor act, the UTMA that you've got, that's just a way to just, put money in a kid's name. Yeah, and they're that going to receive it of when they're, um, I think the latest is 24, 24 or 5. 24 or 25. So I, the methodology you used, we like. I would do it again. I would use the Coverdale first, and then I'd use the 529 second. And then I would um, use the uh, utmost third and the saving bond last. It, now, and, and uh, having that. said that, having said that, if there is some of these dollars that, if they weren't used for education, you weren't you weren't planning on giving it to your kid, or maybe using it for another child, then I would keep the money in the five twenty nine. I'd look at yeah, using that you, last. Right, you can move that five twenty nine downstream by changing the name of the beneficiary from one child to another. Or even a grandkid. Okay, that was actually, yeah, that was actually my plan because my son, um, hopefully he'll get a little motivated later in life, but I have the super high achieving uh, type A youngest daughter, <laughs> and she'll probably be the expensive one. <laughs> Isn't it funny how they're also different? They are also different. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Okay, I just wanted to check on yeah. that. And no, I like it. I like when, it. Then it was interesting when my oldest daughter, she went to community college, saved money, and then transferred to a private school back east. And after she got her scholarships, because I had this money to pay in cash, they actually did come down on tuition. Would you call them and just said that we need to come down on the price a little? I actually did. I said, here's her other offers, and what can you do? And we negotiated, and then he finally got to the point and said, this is my best deal. And we got him down about $5,000 off on top of all the scholarships they wow. gave us. Perfect. Perfect. Perf- I mean, for the rest of the listeners, for the private colleges out there right now, it is a highly competitive oh. business. Highly competitive. Yeah. And so set aside like the Ivy Leagues or the top schools, Stanford right. or whatever. Set those aside. Yes. You're talking about just your, your typical yeah, private school. Yeah. So I had a child that went to Denver University and Denver, that is a private school. My oldest daughter's at there. They They will negotiate. Loyola Marymount uh, in L.A., uh, they uh, will most of them will negotiate to some form or fashion because it is very, very competitive right now on the private schools. My son's at Boston College. They're not going to negotiate. They don't. No, but but, you know, they don't accept that. If you and the reason is, is that there's these upstarts online schools that are quasi online, quasi in person, and they deliver a product which is similar but not the same. At a much lower price. So you look at like Grand Canyon University costs almost nothing to go to. In fact, in many cases, it's less expensive than public schools. Um, yeah. So. Well, that's, I mean, I appreciate the call, Kevin. Um, and I think I mean, it sounds like you're on the right track. What um, a great saver. I know. And Kevin's going to be one of those that uh, as <laughs> we're talking about before. He has the money because he's been a diligent saver. And then watching the, how the kids spend it might be a little uh, different. But Not all the kids, just some of them, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, you've got four yeah. kids. They're all a little different. They're a little different. Yeah, anyway. Um, hey, before we go back to calls, I want to talk a little bit about, um, <laughs> I, and this, I, what, this, the shared office space company called We. used to be WeWork, and they've changed it to just We. we. Because they're actually, the reason, one of the reasons they changed the name is they think they can do the same thing with housing or other forms of um they did. We, yeah, they did. They, <laughs> okay, so they think they could. Here's what's ama- amazing about this. This company has been a private company. Uh, and, and like a lot of companies, they, take, they don't go public for years anymore because, one, it's the private markets are cumbersome. And, two, there's just a lot of money in the, in private, in the private markets. You mean the public markets are cumbersome? Sorry, the public. Yeah, going public is it's cumbersome. Just the governance issues. It's, it's the regulatory yes, issues around. It's, it. it's a huge tax essentially. So a lot of companies are staying uh, private for much longer. Well, WeWork, and I've been in WeWork spaces. I've had meetings in some before in different cities with people, various people. Uh, we don't at, at all worth. We don't use uh, WeWork, but 
they, you know, they're kind of, I guess, trendy office spaces. But what their business model is essentially this. They go, they go and lease a huge chunk of real estate from somebody, a building. They don't own much at all in real estate. So they'll go out and lease a couple floors of a building. Then they convert, they do a long-term lease. They convert those into some kind of hip workstations or whatnot. And then they go into small businesses and they say, hey, feel free to rent a desk here for... Or even not, or even large businesses that have outposts uh, outside of their corporate headquarters. So it wouldn't be unusual for a software company or hardware company like IBM or SAP or to actually have a group of people that are working in a WeWork space outside of yes. the corporate environment. Well, it's not unusual so at all. all. So I said we don't use WeWork. We do use Regis, and we have offices uh, where we have advisors will meet in a Regis because it's closer to somebody's maybe closer to their where they work or live. Um, so yes. the, the, the concept in and of itself is a good concept. Not new, by the way. No, there's a company called Regis that's publicly traded. That's been that around has, for a long time. That has about five times as much office leased as WeWork does. Uh, Just doesn't but, have all the glitter around it. But what's been so amazing about watching this, it's the valuation this company just kept getting pushed higher and higher. A very charismatic CEO. And Scott, if it's not publicly traded, how do you know the valuation? Well, like anything, it's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And how you know the valuation is every time they go to market and raise money. It's what someone's willing to pay at the valuation. If someone is willing to buy 10% of the company for $5 billion, then it puts the valuation at $50 billion. Yes. So this company was planning on going public here relatively shortly, soon. Um. <laughs> And one of their major finances, financiers is an uh, organization called SoftBank. And their CEO, uh, Son, it's been the most bizarre thing kind of watching from a distance because they've raised billions of dollars, I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, from investors around the globe. And the way this is structured... SoftBank has, has raised hundreds yes. of billions of dollars. Yes, it's really odd the way they've structured it. They've got all these preferred positions and some debt and kind of crazy. It, the whole thing feels like a house of cards. So reading about SoftBank in and of itself, you kind of wonder. Is that it? I mean, this, so what happens is that if you, if you're, you can give money to SoftBank and then SoftBank will give you a preferred coupon of 7%. So we're going to... Uh, give you a dividend on your money of 7% or an interest payment of 7% and you get an equity play in this. And then SoftBank takes the money around the world and invest in other companies. So it is a pooled uh, investment trust that actually invests in other companies. And one of the companies they invested in was WeWork. We or WeWork, which is fraught with problems, part of which were brought on by the founder who actually would buy buildings and then sell them to his Company that you personally he was buy the, them, yeah. yeah, a lot of self dealing uh, with his own company. He trademarked the name We, and then sold it to the company he was the CEO of for five point nine million dollars. Um, that actually fell apart. The board finally came back and said, "You know, this well, he is a little he was much. ousted this this week. He's he's done. He stepped down or whatever." But so this company down. at one point in time was valued at forty seven billion dollars. Forty seven billion dollars. We work was. That's the last raise that SoftBank put in money at $47 billion when they were, they were set to go public. Right? Remember, so a very sophisticated, what one would think, a very sophisticated institutional investor just gave we money with a valuation of $47 billion. Which means they didn't bring in the whole $47 billion, but they thought the company was worth $47 they billion. They put in billions, though. And they put in billions. And so when we's ready to go public... And the investment bankers are looking at this thinking, you go public, there's no way this thing's worth $47 billion. And they say, well, maybe it's worth $20 billion. And some investment banker, I don't know if it's worth $20 billion. Maybe it's not worth $15 billion. So all of a sudden, they say we can't go public because we can't get the value out to the shareholders that invested in it, primarily here's the, SoftBank. Here's the biggest, and it, it's I find it fascinating. The biggest story here is really not we, nor is it SoftBank. It's the mania that goes around certain asset classes right. or stories. That's right. 
SoftBank had a great story, the Vision Fund and all this, and how they're changing the world to these technology investments. We had this great story. They're actually going to be a technology company that has... Solar City, Tesla, right? Look, and then you're going to say, well, Pat, Facebook and Google hit it. Yeah, some do. Some do. But most don't. What I think the, the, the lesson that I have, just because someone is extremely educated, bright, has all kinds of financial modeling, what I've learned over the years in business is that you can make a financial model to tell you anything you want it to make by changing a few assumptions. If you want to believe something's worth something, you can build a spreadsheet that'll tell you that. That's right. And it doesn't mean it is. And it's just one of these things that just, again, you got to be careful. And if it looks, seems like too good of a deal, which some of the soft, it's just, anyway, I think the whole thing's been fascinating. I hope our listeners did too. So we're taking a uh, short break. When we come back, we will continue with some calls. And if you want to be part of our program, the contact number to join us is 1-833-99-WORTH. Again, 833-99-WORTH. We'll be right back. This is All Worth's Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Do you have a financial question that needs answering? Call us at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McClain. Glad you are taking part of our program today. And by the way, if uh, you haven't been to our website in, in a while, allworthfinancial.com, we've got lots of different um, articles there, articles on Social Security, deferred tax accounts. Uh, but we've also got um, four of the biggest retirement health care misconceptions uh, on, our, on our website. So, What will Medicare cover, if anything? Is Medicare free? How do you plan for a long life with use uh, with healthcare in mind? So yeah. Anyway, tons. Of, there's tons of uh, educational resources. And you find that very similar worth, to this program, allworthfinancial.com. This radio program we've been doing for 24 years is educational in nature and it's designed to help you. And you get a bit of our, you don't get a bit. You get a, all of our kind of viewpoint uh, on various matters. Um, and the website did the same same thing. I was meeting with a uh, another firm, an investment advisory firm, this week, and he said, "What is kind of your, what's your philosophy uh, in interacting with clients?" And I said, "We're an educational based firm. That uh, we like people to have the ability to get educated about their financial matters if they wish, and that we'd like to be as transparent as possible, and we'll put it out there." And many people that interact with our firms will hire us, and many people will not because they like to do it themselves. And That's we're fine. okay either way. Absolutely. Either way. Right. But we still think even, even those that want to hire a financial advisor, we believe that the more <laughs> that we they need to have some education to make a wise decision on even who to choose. Yeah, yeah. You need to start somewhere. Don't go in blind. Yeah. So Go to allworthfinancial.com and, uh, you know, take advantage of it. That's right. Let's uh, continue on here. Again, if you'd like to be part of the program, our contact number is toll-free, 833-99-WORTH. And we are talking with Susanna. It says, location, Italy. Are you in Italy, Susanna? Yes, hello. Oh, hi. Well, one question is, how can we help Thank you? you? The other call. question is, why are you calling us from Italy? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, well, uh, I, I relocated here actually to save money. Um, so, because I'm also a national, a dual national. So, um, but uh, yeah, the cost of living is less here and I don't have to pay for health. And we, we don't have to pay, my husband and I don't have to pay for health insurance here because there's um, a socialized medical healthcare system here unlike in in the u.s so and how are you able to how are you able right now how are you able to get a visa to live there just out of curiosity no, i'm a citizen here also. oh you are okay, okay. well that makes sense yeah okay got it got it got it got it, got it. Yeah. yeah so the rest so, of the listeners who yeah, just so. want to pick up and move to italy for the free health care <laughs> not quite that <laughs> <Right>. easy <laughs> well 
Yeah, I wouldn't recommend movie here for the healthcare. Maybe for other reasons, but yeah, I think England has a better healthcare system than Italy. Italy's the mess, but um, it's still better than not having it at all. Yes. Yeah. Um, What can we do for you? um, Yeah. Okay. So my question was um, regarding saving for retirement. Um, I'm in my early 40s and I haven't started saving at all, and uh, I don't have any debt, so. I mean, I've heard that it would be definitely a good idea to set up a 401k, the sooner the better, and start saving as much or whatever I can uh, each month. Um, but I just wanted to hear any other. Where do you plan uh, on? Where do you plan? You have? Where do you plan on retiring? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, possibly here. Um, you know, it's not clear yet. That's a little ways off. It. Do you but own a home? Especially if I haven't started saving. No, we don't. Not yet. And We're saving for one. Do you, you and your uh, partner both have jobs? Uh, yes. Well, my husband is uh, he's Social Security disabled, so he receives a monthly check from uh, Social Security Administration and or a monthly deposit. And I I work. Uh, yeah, so I have a set amount. I receive each month. I mean, I have, okay. um, yeah. So the, 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 in order to give you direction, you, you're not eligible for a 401k and or a IRA yeah, you don't have because you're not filing a U.S. tax return, correct? Um, well, I am filing a U.S. tax return because I still have income from the U.S. Um, uh, from the work I'm doing from here that's in based in the u.s okay so okay okay I, yeah and does yeah. the company that you work for have a 401k available to you um the u.s company i'm not sure i i don't i don't believe so okay so the I'm easiest thing sure for I you to do is to set up an ira for you and your husband yeah probably a roth uh, yeah okay. i'd do a roth for both you okay. and your husband not probably for sure a roth. and i would um oh, because you're assuming her income is relatively low, Scott. That's I'm assuming her taxable U.S. income is relatively, relatively low. low. Yes. So uh, the Roth IRA is the direction you want to go. And I would be, you're in your early 40s, I'd be buying the total market. You could put six up to $6,000 a year. And the best way to save, Susanna, forget about the, the tax structure or the investment. It's setting up on a monthly basis, just like any other expense you mm-hmm. have. Because it, okay. it's not easy to save. There's always competing factors for your money. So what you want to do is decide how much you can save and put that money away on a monthly basis. Right? So go to Vanguard, set up the total market, put between 500 and $1,000. If it's $1,000 a month, then it's going to be 500 for you and 500 for your spouse. If it's just 500 you can just do it in your name. And let it go. All righty. Mm-hmm. And you recommended that over a 401k. You're not eligible for. You can't. My you, company doesn't. If your company doesn't have oh, a 401k, okay. it has to be through the company. It has. Well, to you be can set up them. a solo. Oh, okay. How much do you want to save each year? Mm, I mean, right now, because I have no debt, as long as nothing happens where that's the real draw on my money, I have. I could put aside. At least fifteen hundred a month. But but there. Or I don't know. It depends. But Scott, the the solo K, it, um, you're not self-employed, correct? You're employed by a company, a um, U.S. company. I am self-employed. I am self-employed for part of my work. Okay, so, so there, so the you can set up a. How, f- the question is though, how much do you want to save? Is it fifteen hundred a month? Okay, so you can set up a. Uh, I guess I. You can do twelve thousand dollars. You can do twelve thousand dollars a year between a Roth IRA for yourself and a Roth IRA for your husband. I would I would do that first. Mm-hmm. After that, then you can okay. look at what's called a solo K for your business. But considering that you have you haven't saved anything for retirement yet, uh, I think s- suddenly saying we're going to be saving eighteen thousand dollars a year might be a little overly ambitious. So I would say let's just start okay. with something. Yeah, start with the Roth IRAs, Vanguard mm-hmm. Total Market. Uh, once you do that for a year and you're comfortable saving $12,000 a year, 
then set up a solo K mm-hmm. for your self-employment income okay. and put the maximum into that. So appreciate the call. Yeah, good luck, Susanna. And uh, that, I, that might be our first call we've had from Italy. Italy. And it's interesting that she says she can live over there less expensively than... I, I, well, I have a friend who lived there for a number of years. Economically, it's quite depressed. I mean, there's the that might be wonderful food and beautiful scenery and interesting history, but politically, it's a disaster. A little bit, <laughs> and uh, economically, it's a. Uh, there's not a lot of growth going on. No, I think there's some contraction in. Yeah. Um, yeah. In it, so it's not. It's a tough place to try to make a. Uh, a living. In- yeah, it's, uh, usually people that are uh, moving to. Other countries, retirees are going south of uh, the U.S. border. Going into Ecuador, Ecuador, Costa Rica, um, areas like that. Not to the European Union? Typically not. In fact, that's the first one I've ever seen. Yeah, and doing so out of cost. Yes, the first one that the the driver was the cost. But there's probably more to that story than we know. You think? (laughs) (laughs) I did find it interesting, and we'll go back to the calls here in a moment. But that um, someone could be on Social Security disability and leave the country and still collect benefits. That is interesting. Let's continue on with some calls. And if you'd like to be part of the program, our contact is 833-99-WORTH. Numerically, it's toll-free, 833-999-6784. And we're talking with Brian in Sacramento. Brian, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Hello, Scott and Pat. Hi, Brian. Here's my question. I am looking at putting together a withdrawal strategy. So my question is, is it better to live on my savings and do Roth conversions from ages 66 to 69? Or should I take my IRA RMDs from 66 to 69 and do smaller Roth conversions. I'm 66. My full retirement age is 66. I was planning on taking my Social Security at 70, and I don't need my IRA RMDs to live on. Okay. So uh, remember, the RMD doesn't actually kick in under current tax rules until age 70. Yeah, I think he's just talking about whatever that dollar amount is. Is that what you're kind of thinking? Well, I was thinking that rather than waiting till 70, uh, I could uh, take the RMDs to lower the total amount of my RMD later on because it looks like I will – taking my RMDs plus my Social Security will bump me up into the next tax bracket. And how much much are your retirement plans worth, Ballpark? Let's see – I would say right now, between my traditional and my Roth IRAs, there's about 500000 and I have a brokerage account of about a million. All right. And tell us how much is in the Roth and how much is in the IRA. Uh, currently, my traditional is 400000 and my Roth has about 100000 I like exactly what you're thinking, Brian. And if I were you, or if you're my client, I'm advising you, I would take the I would do the Roth conversion to the maximum my account to stay in that twelve percent tax bracket uh, between now and the time you have to do your required minimum distributions. Wouldn't you push it even consider pushing it above the twelve percent if you were planning forward into age seventy five or eighty? Well, no, because there's not a ton in. The, it's, it's, it's only four hundred. Isn't Yeah, the required minimum distributions aren't going to be that bad. But I'd, I'd certainly run those calculations. But think of it this way. Uh, you, you, if you you can take a withdrawal today if you wanted to from your IRA, which you're, you're kind of thinking maybe I do that and I'm not taking Social Security, I'll just have that to help supplement my income. But another way to think of it, if you can take some of your brokerage account and, and live and off just, that, and, and well, no, take a portion of your brokerage account and shove it into a Roth IRA, you'd probably do as much as you you could, right? So if suddenly the government said, "Hey, Brian, guess what?" We're going to allow you to put fifty grand from your brokerage account into the into a Roth IRA. Would you like to do that? You'd say, sure, because I could avoid tax on it. So the Roth conversion is essentially, if you're planning on taking some money out of your IRA anyway, converting to the Roth is kind of like just being able to take money out of your brokerage account and throwing it into a Roth IRA. Yeah, right. 
So, yeah, it so, makes perfect I mean, sense to convert as much as you possibly can between now and the okay. time your required minimum distribution start from your IRA to your Roth. So if I'm not if I'm actually not working, so I couldn't put any more into my Roth IRAs, and it looks like I will leave most of my estate to my kids. I don't need it to live on. Is it better to leave an inheritance in your Roth IRAs or just in a regular brokerage account? Roth. Yeah. So, and okay. we're, by far, for two reasons. Um, one, it's it, the money is all tax going to be tax free when they receive it. Uh, secondly, the brokerage account theoretically may be because there's currently what's called a step up in basis. So any capital gains would be forgiven. But Correct. I, if I are a betting man over the next decade, we will see some limitations on that, if not an elimination of it entirely. And you're going to quit working completely at age 66, correct? I have quit working for pay. I do basically volunteer work right okay, now. Got it. And I don't take a salary for it. Okay. And do you have a pension? Uh, I've converted all my pensions and 401ks into my Roth and my traditional. Okay. okay. I like the idea. I think it's brilliant. Okay. Thank brilliant. you very but much. You're, 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 I would not go higher than the, out of that 12% tax bracket because you're in. Yeah, it's not going to move I, that much. I would, I, yeah. you're, you're, I would run both the federal and the California uh, taxes on this because California okay. is very highly progressive tax state and the the rates go from you know, zero to nine percent relatively quickly. Right. So we don't want to so pay I excess California out, either. Yeah. So I start out usually in the twenty-two percent bracket until I take my standard deduction and uh, some other deductions. So I have been lucky enough to stay in the twelve percent bracket. Yep. So. Yeah. Yep. And we don't want to go above that. So, and I'm assuming you're going to stay in California because Cal- I'm not working. That's right. And I'm assuming you're going to stay in California. Yeah, because all my children yeah, and grandchildren yeah. are here. <laughs> well, it sounds yeah, I get it. Totally get it. All right, hey, appreciate, appreciate the call. Yeah. Thanks, you, Brian. And yeah, that's, thank you, know, you very much. Thanks. I mean, that's part of it. People talk about retirement and going to different places and going to Italy, right? Or um, it's where but your kids. Oftentimes, it's where your family is. Yes, yeah. or friends. I mean, my my oldest daughter's in um, in Denver in grad school. She loves it out there. She says there's a good chance I'm going to stay out there, and I'm thinking. I start thinking 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road. I'm sure she has grandkids. I'm thinking, I guarantee you, my wife's going to be close to her. So I don't have any intention of moving to Denver full time, but I but would you, certainly see having a small apartment or there or something. You may not have a choice. <laughs> if I want to spend time with my wife, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just. Yeah. All right. Uh, to join All Worth's Money Matters, our number here is 833 worth it's 833-999-6784. And I'm just going to do a really quick here before I go back. I'm going to take Sue here in a second. But Allworth, we are a financial advisory firm. We don't promote ourselves too often on the show, but um, you know, it's great. We love providing uh, financial advice over the air and people calling in and but don't be afraid to talk with a financial advisor. Uh, I mean, if you if you the kind of advice we talk about resonates with you and you think there'd be some benefit, uh, give us a call or go online and send us a note. And we'll- we have fifty three advisors. So we have the number fifty three advisors, and you will get a, a similar experience. Yep, um, as the one that you in when you hear us answering questions, they're real life questions that regard. Individuals, you'll get the same experience uh, in any of our offices. That's correct. So, uh, all right, let's uh, go to calls now. Let's we're in the East Bay, Northern California, talking with Sue. Sue, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, Sue. I have a very quick question. I am 62, turned that age in August. I have not yet started Social Security. So far, we haven't needed it to live on. But my question is, if I start, if I decide mid-year next year, I need the money, would I get the 8% increase for having waited, or do I have to wait the full 12-month period? Every month you, order- every month you wait. Well, because so if you take it early, you've got an age discount, early uh, discount. Every month that right. you wait, you eliminate a portion of that. It's all prorated. Yeah, so it's, month month. it's three-quarters of a percent a month. So, okay, so every I don't month have you to waited wait until I'm 
No. Anytime between now and the age of 70, it essentially moves by three quarters of a percent a month in, in the increase in the monthly benefit. So assuming you have a normal life expectancy or longer, uh, you may decide to take it later. Or if All things being, everything else being everything equal. Everything else being equal, or as you said, you need the money. How do you feel about uh, waiting and risking the chance of laws changing towards means testing, et cetera, for Social Security? <laughs> we have strong opinions about <laughs> so, that. I mean, so first of all, every situation is different, and sometimes it depends on what someone's overall objectives are. Uh, whether they take it earlier or take it later. But then that also comes into what's the chance of there being some reduction. I was just reading this week that um, I think it was Elizabeth Warren that wants to increase everybody's Social Security benefits by $2,400 a year. All, every every beneficiary of the Social Security. But uh, <laughs> but there was no talk of means stashing there. But, I mean— and so, so it, The money's got to come from somewhere. What So if, if they're going to take away— benefits from social security recipients who will they take it away from the people that actually can afford to live without it correct bill gates right first target warren buffett right easy <laughs> targets no i mean that's, i mean that's how it all works in right? Texas. and then it, and then it goes down from there when they raise taxes they typically talk about raising taxes they calculate it based upon who's actually paying the taxes because raising taxes, theoretical collecting taxes is practical. So what is your overall family income between you and your spouse? About a hundred K. Okay. And overall net worth. Uh, about three and a half. Well, ma, 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 ma. yeah, that's a good. Um, that's uh, something yeah. I'd worry about. I do you have? Would... Do you have? Uh, do you and your spouse have pensions? He does. Yes. Um, how big's the pension at retirement? Uh, he he got about eighty percent of his annual. Okay. So we're we're doing we're doing okay. okay. So 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 and is he on social, a, yeah. is he on social security? Yes. Okay. So. Uh, that hundred thousand does it include the social security benefit that you would receive, or it's a hundred thousand a day? Today. So. I... And how much do you ha- are you are you taking any money from your retirement accounts as of yet? No. And how much no. do you have in your retirement accounts, IRAs, four hundred one ks? About two. Oh, I'd yeah. start early. I would. I would. I would. Okay. Right. Yeah, well, the that's thing a... I've heard is that if you don't need it, take it. That's what you've heard. Hopefully you've heard it on on this show, right? If you don't need it, take it. And if you need it, you probably should postpone it. Um, And the theory behind is if they're going to change the rules on who gets Social Security benefits, it will be to the ones that don't need it. Because if you look, Sue, you're 62. I'm assuming your husband's same similar age. There's a good chance your retirement accounts, if you don't take any withdrawals, are double at age 70. Or close to or it. close to it. At least add another, you know. And then you start a required minimum distribution on, let's say, a $3.5 million account. And that $3.5 million account is now $100,000 a year distribution or thereabouts. Um, mm-hmm. the leg- so now we're at a couple hundred thousand yeah. of income. And then right. the legislative right. risk is real. Uh, and for those listeners, they're saying, what are you talking about? Look. If you had started Social Security 30 years ago, there was no taxes on any Social Security. Then the government longer than that, but yeah. Is it th- longer than 30? It was the 80s and the 80, 88 is when they started taxing Social Security. 31. <laughs> okay, I close. stand corrected. <laughs> Thank you, Scott Hansen, for finally having the ability to correct me. Um, I can't remember my friends' names, but I remember dates when, uh, so for whatever reason. They started taxing incomes of on a couples. Uh, married couples of over 32,000, they started taxing part of that Social Security benefit, fixed 50% of it, went into ordinary income taxes. And they actually created this code called provisional income. And then a few years later, they started taxing incomes for couples with over $44,000. And they started taxing 85% of that income over $44,000. So I, I would actually make the argument that, um, well, you're already going to be the maximum taxation in your Social Security, but that could get worse. Yeah. So the point being is the government giving you money in one hand and taking it away on the other based upon your income is a means test. They didn't call it a means test. 
They didn't say it was a reduction in Social Security benefit, but it only hit the highest earners, and you gave back some of the benefit that you had received. That's a means test, if you ask me. Yeah, reduction on the higher incomes. Reduction exactly on higher it income. Is. It's a means test. Have you ever call, seen it called a means test no. anywhere, Scott? You know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. <laughs> I'd take right, it. So it I'd take like it. I, I, should be take, I should be taking it just to pay my taxes. Please. I would take it now. I wouldn't even wait. Yeah. I wouldn't even okay. wait. Yeah, I mean, if you don't need the money, sock it away somewhere. Save it. Right? Yeah. A bird but, in the hand is worth right. two in the bush. That, and, I mean, if it were me. And if you it, listen long enough, I'll give you enough other sayings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly, if it were me and I was in your situation, I would take it. Because you, you're definitely not going to go back to work. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Take it. Then I'd take it. Take it. Okay. Appreciate the call. Greatly right. appreciate your yeah. time. And congrats right. on uh, you know, setting yourself up financially for a great retirement. Yeah, and I was also assuming that you are—you'll um, receive a portion of your husband's pension should he predecease you. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, look, uh, we won't know the right answer until you're on your deathbed, right? And then you could go <laughs> look back and say, "Was this the smart thing to do?" When I called the Allworth guys and they said to take it, and I took it. Was this the one? We won't know the answer until your dying days. But we look at probabilities. I, and by of, the way, I hope this isn't going through your mind. <laughs> your dying days. But, I but hope there's other we, things. We look at probabilities of outcome, right? And so it's financial advice. You look at probabilities. Everything's and about- historical evidence that would lead you to believe, right? But if the government was operating in a surplus and they said Social Security Security is fully funded. No one needs to worry. That we, we wouldn't be talking about this. We wouldn't talk about it. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's what's called legislative risk. And it, 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 listen, it exists for every investment. No question. Right. What we, what we saw already with the last change in the tax code was. Or even the tariffs, not even legislative. That's just a uh, presidential dictate. Yeah. It's all that the risk exists. So appreciate yeah. the call. Yeah. Thanks, you, Sue. Or you look at, uh, well, there's risk in lots of things. There's risks in everything. We're, so we, we try to mitigate those risks as much as possible. And obviously, if you've got a high income, high assets at retirement, there is some risk of a further, maybe I should go to your point, a further means testing because Social Security is already means testing. Just not called that. Taxation. Yep, I would agree with that. So anyway, it's been certainly great having you with us uh, as we've been going through our program today. We are we broadcast the same station every week at the same time, so you can catch us next week here. Or you can listen to our podcast. We've got thousands of podcast listeners, and um, you can sign up at uh, wherever you listen to your podcast or at allworthfinancial.com. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you next week. This has been Scott Hansen and Pat McLean of Allworth Financial. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.